Welcome to the East Westicism Podcast, where our host, Todd Perlmutter, shares the lessons he's learned spending eight years living with gurus, monks, lamas, and shamans across 35 countries and five continents. Join in the journey as he brings the best scientifically proven methods for living your best life from the East and the West straight to you. The path to peace, love, health, and happiness starts here. Hello and welcome to Path to Peace with Todd Perlmutter. I am your host, Todd Perlmutter. And last time on the program, during the Infiltrating Secretive Ashram podcast, I mentioned how I had spent some time at this, at what was the largest ashram in India. And after that, I wasn't really sure where I was going to go next. I had a few places I was planning to go, but many of them were fully booked, so I was going to have to postpone those. And so I was searching on the internet, and I found a place in Rishikesh that was the most expensive ashram in India. It was, it looked really nice. I tell you, I was about to go after that to a pretty difficult meditation retreat, 12 days of silence. And I was like, you know what? I want a feeling of luxury. I want a little pampering. And so I found this ashram on the internet. It had great reviews, a little too expensive, but a lot of these ashrams are totally free donation only. So I was like, you know what? It averages out. I can afford this. And I decided to go. So based on these online reviews and their website, Um, I decided to take a chance. And the ashram itself was in Rishikesh, which is a beautiful city on a river, the Ganges River. And it was made famous when the Beatles and Steve Jobs went to ashrams in India in Rishikesh. The Beatles guru, uh, I don't believe is any longer alive with us, but he had an ashram in India. And... So Rishikesh has kind of become the tourism hub for spirituality for Westerners to come visit and to come have a bit of a spiritual experience. And so I found this ashram and I headed to Rishikesh and it was spectacular. It was gorgeous. I mean, it was the only ashram where I had my own private room. They had a masseuse. But it was a little too luxurious. It was a little too easy. The ashram was a little too much about money. And while it was a pleasant experience and it was nice to, to kind of, I would say it wasn't really a spiritual experience. It was more about having a week off from anything. <laughs> it was really a vacation. Um, everything was optional. You could come to the meditation if you wanted to. You could come to the yoga if you wanted to. They just weren't going to tell you what to do. They figured, I guess, that you paid good money to be here. You can do whatever you want, which is an interesting contrast to some of the other places I had been where, you know, they will come wake you up <laughs> and bring you to meditation if you are sleeping in your room. It was quite a departure from something like that. But 
the food was really nice. I did learn a good amount from the Ayurvedic doctor that they had on staff who taught us a lot about natural medicine and foods that have medicinal values, spices, as well as different spiritual practices and detoxification practices. So there were enemas offered. I uh, did not partake in that. Um, There were other kinds of cleanses that we learned about where you kind of tilt your head sideways and with a little, almost like a teapot with a spout, you pour water through one of your nostrils and it comes out the other side. And it is quite intense and it does clean up your sinuses real quick, but um, I've never really had blocked sinuses to make that unpleasant experience worth doing again. However, if you have blocked sinuses, this is something you might want to try. I had paid for the full package. I wanted the custom treatment. I got the personalized schedule. I paid extra for a private session with the guru who was actually kind of texting most of the time during our private session and occasionally would take a phone call. I guess he was um, maybe more of a businessman than a guru, but uh, hey, everybody's got to eat. No judgment there. Um, He did have some pretty interesting words that I I can't say it was all bad because there were some some good lessons that I learned that I'd like to pass on to everyone. I asked him about what is the fastest way to become enlightened. And he said, why do you want to become enlightened? And I said, because it seems like an acid trip all the time. He's like, that's not the right reason. And what I realized is that enlightenment can't come from a selfish place. Enlightenment is about being the best version of yourself so you can be the best to others. To dissolve the ego our self-constructed identity, we must become selfless. When we are self-absorbed, we are unable to be truly free from insecurity, self-consciousness. And when we are completely selfless, there is not only no room for any kind of unpleasant feelings within ourselves, but any unpleasant thoughts don't matter because we're completely selfless. And there is really no other way to enlightenment than complete selflessness. And that doesn't mean, of course, you don't take care of yourself, you don't provide for your family, because that would be unwise. Uh, Wisdom comes out of selflessness. In fact, everything you do is for your family. You take care of yourself so you can better take care of others. It's the old airplane uh, mask situation. Please put on your mask before putting on your child's. If you're dead, no one's going to put on your child's. So it's 
the most generous thing you can do is to nourish your kindness and compassion and generosity and love so you can be a better person to others. Another thing I asked him, and I think this applies for just about anything, I said, you know, how can we be more disciplined in meditation? And he said, it's very simple. Effort comes from interest. When there's something you just love to do, whether it's make music or make art or be with family or friends, whatever you love to do, the effort comes naturally because your interest is there. It's not an effort. It's effortless, really. And so you have to create that interest. And the way you create that interest is by genuinely understanding that what you're trying to do is the best thing you want to do, need to do. It's a slight shift of focus. For example, if you're trying to lose weight, pay more attention to how you feel after a meal than how you feel while you're eating the meal. Because when you do this, your interest shifts to how food makes you feel, how food makes you look. In this sense, we are taking our focus and attention away from how it tastes for that moment in our mouth to the true big picture, to the consequences, not just the momentary pleasure. And this is the same with meditation. You focus on the outcomes you're trying to get. You focus on the benefits you can bring to yourself and others, of which there are so many. You know, patience, focus, concentration, joy, bliss, better mental health, better physical health. And so we put our focus where we choose to. In meditation, we train ourselves to guide our focus into whatever we are meditating on, whether it's your breath, your body, or a mantra. And in doing this, we are able to apply this to every aspect of our lives. Whatever task needs to be done in a moment, we can put our focus there. If there's a problem we solve, we need to solve in our lives, we can put our focus on that for as long as it takes till insights arrive and we can find a solution. So even though he was on his phone most of the time and I didn't really feel like I got my money's worth, I thought those two answers to my questions were pretty profound and definitely useful. I was able to apply them to my life. I hope you can apply them to your life. And it just makes life flow easier, you know, when you're not forcing something and you're creating the circumstances and situation for it to come naturally. There was a few other things I asked him about. A lot of stuff with Ayurvedic medicine that I found is it's rather difficult to apply. It's, you know, it's obviously easier to take a pill in Western medicine than to apply, uh, to add a spice or a root or a herb. 
to your diet that heck when I'm in the United States, I don't even know where to get these things. But it was really, really fascinating to learn about the Ayurvedic um, medicine, which is their holistic medicine in India. They really do have some incredible remedies and techniques for diagnosing diseases. A Ayurvedic doctor can just put his hand or her hand on your pulse and almost immediately be able to find out what's wrong with your body and what may be slightly out of balance and could become a problem. They can look at your tongue and tell you basically 20 different biomarkers regarding your um, health and lifestyle. They categorize your health and being in balance with the four elements of the earth, the water, fire, earth, and wind. And if you're too, too hot and you're too, there's too much fire in you, then they know that you need more of these cooling foods. And so everything is all about balance. And it's, it's truly a beautiful, holistic way to look at our lives because in the West, we look at the symptom as the problem and we try to fix the symptom. But the problem remains, and the problem was creating that symptom so that we would address the problem, not to address the symptom. The symptom is a incredible teaching tool that tells us what we need to fix. And that really applies to everything in our society. We always try to solve a symptom, and each solution creates new problems. We realize that we have too much plastic in our oceans, and our land, and so we create recycling. But recycling creates its own pollution. And instead of just stop using plastics, and single-use plastics specifically, we create new problems. We're shipping our plastics to third-world countries that don't have recycling facilities, and they're just piling up over there. And... It's just one of these many cases where we don't look at problems holistically. And we always need to go back to the source. For example, every action we take, every habit we have, comes from the mind. Um, the mind makes that choice to eat junk food, smoke cigarettes, overconsume anything, television, alcohol, and we always focus on those problems. You go to AA, you've, you just try to quit the cigarettes, you, you know, a kid that misbehaves, we try to correct that behavior. But we never go back to the mind and help these people realize that they don't need to seek out any external stimulus to find a peace and a happiness and a joy that when they can turn inward, all the peace, joy, bliss, love that they need is right there. 
It's not in cigarettes. It's not in TV. It's not in junk food. It's not in alcohol or other drugs. It's not in sex, porn, gambling. And when we can do that, then you don't have to worry about the symptoms. They cure themselves. Because so many times people jump from one problem to another, one addiction to another, because they have not changed their mind on a fundamental level. They have not realized that the object of what they're chasing may change, but the chasing unconsciously, needlessly, habitually will continue until they discover the infinite reservoir of love, peace, joy, and happiness within. So my experience was really a mixed bag at this ashram. I learned some great things, and I also kind of felt this focus on money that was a little off-putting. And I was supposed to stay for two weeks, but I... After a week, I, I, st- I told the guru and the owner that I, I think I was ready to leave. And if you don't mind, I'd, I'd love to get a refund for the second week. And to their credit, they, they issued the refund. I told all the people at the ashram what I was going to do. And they all asked for a refund for their second week as well. And I feel like I started a bit of a mutiny. But um, I think that we re- all realized we had learned and gotten what we needed in one week and There wasn't too much else to learn. So we had a great time there. You know, it was very relaxing. But as the Buddha says, always take the middle path. Not too strict, not too lazy. The middle path is that centered, balanced point. And I've done the too hard, and I had now experienced the too easy. And... I'm I'm still looking for that middle path. And coming up in one of the next few podcasts, we'll we'll discover more of that middle path. Um, But that was my experience at the expense of ashram. Another question that I asked the Ayurvedic doctor about was just, how can I keep my hair from thinning? And he told me to put onion juice on my head. And I really appreciate the lesson but and I'm sure it works but I just thought you know I don't need hair that bad (laughs) I don't need to walk around smelling like onions but thank you you know they I'm sure it works I will never know if it does but uh they the Ayurvedic doctor was a really great guy and it was nice to be at this beautiful place in this beautiful town Afterwards, we all explored the Beatles ashram, which is kind of a the ruins of a once big ashram. And it was very cool. There's a lot of graffiti and beautiful painting on the walls of what remains there um, by Beatles fans. And it was it's a cool place to visit. And they have whitewater rafting on the river. And that's also a Beautiful place to do it in the foothills of the Himalayan mountains. So if you're in India, check out Rishikesh. But um, don't go to the most expensive ashram in Rishikesh. That would be my advice. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. 
please follow, like, subscribe. Check us out on social media, Todd Pearl, T-O-D-D-P-E-R-E-L. And give us five stars. Um, We really appreciate it. Until next time, peace and love. You are listening to the East Westicism Podcast. Be sure to visit us at eastwesticism.org to join the conversation and receive enlightening emails. Until next time.